Today, we're going to talk about the real-world use of the new Canon R3 with my friend Jeff Cable on Behind the Shot. Hi, welcome to Behind the Shot. As always, nice to have you joining us. I'm Steve Brazel, your host. This is the show where we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion, all the stories and challenges that happen in, in between. And those of you that have seen this show before probably know that sentence by heart. I should just stop doing it. But, 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 but today is going to be a little bit different. So uh, recently there was a new camera announced and it goes on sale when we're recording this. It actually goes on sale the month after we're recording this. I believe it's November that it's actually coming out. And I've got a friend that I wanted to talk about this camera with because they've actually used it. Now, before we do that, a couple of things that I want to let you know about. First of all, uh, this podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. It's available in video or audio only format. Uh, Apple Podcasts, for example, supports video. So you can head over there, get the video version or the audio only version. Places like Spotify, things like that, it's going to be the audio-only version. But again, anywhere you get it, you can get the podcast. And you can also find all the subscribe links over at the website, along with show notes for each and every show that we do. That's at BehindTheShot.tv. Also, if you are watching on YouTube, that's one place that you can get the video. And I'd like to ask that if you uh, do watch on YouTube, head down, hit subscribe, hit all the buttons that you can find. It makes things a lot easier. In fact, wherever you get your podcast as well, Drop a thumbs up, drop a star review, drop a written review, whatever you feel like. And, and if you don't like it, that's fine too. Please, in that case, reach out to me first. Let me know what you don't like about what I'm doing and uh, let's see if I can get it fixed up for you because my goal is, is to provide you with content that you like and make you happy. One other thing I want to let you know about really quick is the workshop you've heard me mentioning on this show for some time, the Wanderer's Photo Workshop in New Orleans. Due to some things that have happened in New Orleans, etc., we have moved that. It's now going to be January 23rd to 27th of 2022, meaning this coming January when the show comes out. And uh, you can get all the details on that at wanderersphoto.com. So make sure that you head on over there and uh, find all the information on that. It'll just make it a little easier for you to get all the details, the pricing, etc. Keep in mind when you see the pricing, this is an all-inclusive workshop. Literally, pretty much everything except your alcohol and your transportation is included. And once you get to the hotel during the workshop, even transportation is included. I also want to thank those uh, folks over at DVE Store. Go to DVE Store at dvestore.com for all your digital video equipment needs for helping out with the high-def video that we have now on the show. And that brings me to today's guest. Uh, today's guest has been on the show before. May of 2020, we did a show. It was an Olympic photograph, actually, a ski jumping Olympic photograph called Capture the Action. And I'm so glad to have Jeff Cable back on the show. Jeff, how are you? I'm good. Glad to be back. It's good to see you, my friend. And and I've been watching what you've been doing since you were on the show. And we've talked a few times, actually. But uh, you are absolutely, from a photography point of view, my God, man, you're killing it. <laughs> Thanks. I, you, know, uh, you know how it is. When we look at our, our, our own images this often, uh, we just don't think they're that good anymore. So I appreciate that. Oh, I, I mean, seriously? Folks, if you didn't watch the first episode, go watch it. You can find it behind the shot.tv. But Mike, I mean, I watched your Olympic coverage and was just in shock, literally, at some of the stuff you were capturing. And then I asked you a question on Instagram. We'll get to that in a minute. You photographed now when I when I had you on before, it was six Olympics. Now it's seven Olympics for Team USA. 
I'm going to see if I can name them. Um, or actually, you know what? Let's see if you can name them all off the top of your head. Oh, I got them. Okay. Beijing, Vancouver, London, Sochi, Rio, Pyeongchang, and Tokyo. Perfect. Yeah, man, that's pretty good. See, I would have forgotten those by now. Um, and seven- we're already knee deep. We're knee deep in Beijing for four months from now. So I'll be right back for number eight. Yeah, it's crazy. It's and and I think you do a lot of things, right? You do photo tours. You've taught on multiple continents, from Australia to Africa to China to Europe and and U.S. and everything else. But I I with everything I know about you and what you photograph, and you photograph a lot of different things. Yeah. But there's something in my head that immediately associates you with Olympics. And I I think it's because of all the, 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 and there's a lot of, don't misunderstand me. There's a lot of amazing people out there photographing the Olympics. In fact, Joe McNally was at this one creating amazing, amazing stuff. Someday I'm going to get Joe on this show too. But when I see your, when I see your Olympic work, it's almost like you, you have this, built-in eye for that type of photography like very few people have there's a lot of great sports photographers but it's almost like you see it happening before it happens well i mean part of part of shooting is you know pre-visualizing what you want to get for a particular sport and getting the right position and all that and um you know getting to a venue a little bit early trying to figure out like what's going to be the best place to shoot uh, what's the best way to shoot it is it fast shutter speeds, slow shutter speed, multi-exposure, whatever it might be. Um, obviously, for contractual work, it's different. I've got to shoot at fast shutter speeds and and nail the shot. But, um, you know, I just, I love photography. I have a passion for it. And regardless of whether I'm doing sports or wildlife in Africa, uh, I mean, I came back from Tokyo and five days later, I was in Africa for a month. Um, was that a workshop? It was. Yeah, it was a photo tour. We did uh, Tanzania. Kenya and Botswana. And it was awesome. It was, you know, very similar, right? Fast action, a little bit, a little bit more relaxed, you know, Olympic deadlines are 14 minutes. So I'm sorry, no one was, yeah, my deadline at the Olympics is 14 minutes. So if I, I shot with the R3, which I know we'll get to, um, 30 frames a second, when I shot an hour plus game of water polo, I'd end up with like 2,700 shots. So I've got 14 minutes to go through those 2,700, find the best ones retouch them, resize them, and get them back to the States. And yeah. you're alive? So Africa was great. What's that? And you I survived? It's, it's, yeah. Well, I'm used to it. I, I've done it now so many times that, um, yeah, I mean, hell, I was uh, delivering five or six images right away, and then I'd get them a total of about 28 to 35 a game within half an hour, like just cranking them out. So, uh, okay, detour time. 14 minutes. After a one-hour water polo game at whatever frames per second, in the past yep. slower than now, so right. you've got your laptop next to you. I'm guessing you're using Photo Mechanic. I'm using Photo Mechanic on a MacBook Pro 16, 16 inch. Okay. And um, and you know, as soon as the game is over, the press the, every every venue at the Olympics has its own press room. So I just run off the pool deck down the stairs, about 100 feet over to the left to the press room, open the laptop, shoving a card. Uh, start the download process candidly, usually run to the bathroom and back. Um, and then by the time I do that, everything's downloaded. And then but, I'm just jamming through. 
Okay, so yeah, here's a question. This is a, this is a strange question because I've wondered about this, whether I would do this myself. I tend to, because sometimes I have fast turnarounds, I tend to copy the photos from the card to the laptop so that they're on the quick SSD, ready to go, that if I make any changes, et cetera, et cetera. But I saw somebody at a show put their card in and pull the card up in Photo Mechanic to get. Do you copy them off first? Yeah, always. Get them to the drive. It's, I, I don't work off cards. That's a bad idea. I just don't Because do so, if the card crashes, that's your only copy. So yeah, first thing is make yeah. a second copy. Well, get, get everything to the SSD. It's also much faster to work that way. Get everything to the SSD and then you know, start jamming through images. And you know, normally I'll go through and try to find the bad ones, get rid of the bad ones, and post and then then rank the good ones if I'm doing a bar mitzvah or a wedding or whatever. Right. But for the Olympics, there's no time. So I'm jamming through and just, I'm just saying, oh, this one's a great shot. Oh, this one tells a story, right? Because if it's a shutout, I better have a good shot of the right. goaltender stopping the ball. Um, if, it, if someone scored five goals, I better have at least one good shot of the person scoring. So it is all of those pieces that I'm looking at to tell that story. And I go, okay, well, here's the best five. Let me get those to the team right away. Or in the case of the gold medal game, they only want one shot. They don't care about the game. They care about the reactions. And they want all the pictures of, in the case of the woman from USA Water Polo, they wanted a photo of all of them with their medals. That was the key shot. So they're like, because they're, we're not shooting a one-hour game. For the gold medal match, I'm doing a one-hour game plus all the post-game stuff, plus team photos, plus individual individual portraits, plus a little margarita party that we had after. Um, but basically, as we should, yeah, as we should. Well, it wasn't allowed at the Olympics, but you know, whatever. Um, but you know, I was. I, they only needed that one image right away. Like, hey, we won gold. That that's the one that went out. It's on billboards now on the on the side of freeways. I mean, that image is their, their main image, and then everything else after that is a bonus. But on a typical game, they're looking for action shots. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. First things first on the R3. I've been dying to yep. ask you this. And you can, on anything I ask you, I've known you now a couple of years, on anything yep. I ask you, go, Steve, don't ask me that. I'm good with that. Okay, but. No, first I'll, things, I'll, if I know the answer, I'll give the answer. First things first is you made the news. You're using an R3 at the Olympics. And this is what made me send you a message on Instagram. This and something you posted on Instagram. And that was, it came through on one of the photography sites that somebody had gone through EXIF data of an image that you posted and the EXIF data hadn't been stripped of the megapixels. And that was the first time that we had a confirmation that uh, the R3 was 24 megapixels. Correct. What went through your mind when that happened? You know, two things. Um, one is Canon had told me I have to strip all metadata. And I told them, look, I've got a 14-minute deadline. I don't have time to strip metadata. And I, what I said to them was, look, if you, so I, was the only, I was one of the only photographers, I think, at the Olympics, maybe the only one I knew of, that had an R3 or two all the way through the Olympics. Um, you know, most people could borrow one for an hour or two or whatever. And so I told them, look, that's going to limit my use of the camera if I have to strip the metadata because right. then I can't use it for any of my contractual shooting. It would only be for, like, bonus things. Well, three days before the Olympics, Canon came back to me and said, okay, we're going to let you post images without stripping the data. And I'm like, all right. And that changed everything. That, that, then I was like, all right, if this camera works out well, I'll use it for at least half of what I'm shooting. It turns out I used it for like 99% of what I shot there. Really? But, but the weird thing was I took a couple of R5s with me. Um, the weird thing was that they – 
they wouldn't allow me on the blog to say this is this image was shot with the R3. So I was posting images of the entire Olympics. Almost every shot was an R3, but I wasn't allowed to say. So I'd say like, hey, I shot with this lens or I did it this way with my Canon camera. And I, I wasn't allowed to say like what Canon camera. It was really bizarre. The restrictions so. are so weird, uh, especially when, yeah. when they yeah, allowed right. you to post with EXIF data, which again, somebody found and, and decided to have some fun with. So here's the, here's the, let's, let's start with the helicopter view, right? The over, arching thing. And that is you use this thing in a blog post. You wrote that you were intending on using the R5 for everything until you use the R3. And then right. boom, like you just said, 98 or whatever percent was the R3. Right. Now you use that at a high pressure event like the Olympics. You've had time to reflect now on using it at a high pressure event like the Olympics, where you've got tight deadlines, Tons of pictures being turned out at 30 frames a second, which everybody, we will get into the 30 frames a second. Don't worry. Right. Looking back now, overall impressions? I mean, it was great. I mean, there, there were some things I did. The hardest part for me was I had to shoot raw plus JPEG. I, I usually shoot everything raw, even the Olympics. Same and card or you do like card one is same raw? Same card. Okay. Well, no, same card because I always duplicate. I, I always shoot redundant to both Okay, cards. same so, as me. Gotcha. So, because I, you know, you can't trust, I, I was in the memory card business for a long time. You can't trust memory cards. So, um, so I shot everything at 30 frames a second raw plus JPEG because you couldn't open a raw file. You still can't, right? Adobe doesn't understand oh. an R3 raw file yet. Right. And so I wanted raw files because eventually some of those images that, that I just shared with you that you'll share here, those are still JPEG. And I'd like to actually reprocess them when I can with a raw file, but I couldn't. So I wanted the raw files for later, but I needed the JPEGs to be able to produce and, and send to the team. So I hate shooting raw plus JPEG. It slows the machine way down, the camera and, and the computer, frankly, but really- the, Well, I mean, you're writing now, now you're writing four images for every shot. Well, it's not just that. The camera has to process for raw, write that file, then process for JPEG and write the file. So it really slows down cameras. I way preferred to shoot just raw to two cards. Um, that was frustrating at the time, um, but the camera was so good at what I was churning out that I was like, all right, I'll deal with it. The only time I didn't do that, actually, I take that back. The other thing was writing to two cards, and the second card slot is an SD card, which is slower. So in the gold medal match, I thought, there's no way I can fill my buffer, and I did have some issues with filling the buffer. So I actually yanked the SD card and threw it in my pocket and shoot to CF Express to one card, which I almost never do because I didn't want to deal with buffer issues. So, Well, and that's, but, see, you know. that's one of the design things that surprised me. And I'm guessing it will get into the, the rumors of, of a higher camera, but the R3 being considered professional, which again, I, I say this all the time in this show, Nikon considers a kind of a plethora of their top line cameras as being pro bodies. And they give it some right. pro features like the one I always use the example of is metering follows the focus point on a ton of top line Nikon bodies. Right. Canon, that's only on the 1D series that it follows the focus point for metering. Even a 5D series, which most shooters consider pro, Canon considers prosumer. So when they came right. out with the R3 that they call a pro body, I was shocked that they didn't do two CF Express cards. Yeah, me too. I was bummed about it, honestly. I, I was hoping that they would. Um, I think they're going to reserve that for the R1, is my guess. That's um, mine too, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, 
you know, going going back to your question, when I when I post all the images, I honestly I, I knew I was posting stuff, and I, I I know that I had said up front, like, hey, I'm going to be using an R3. I said that in a blog post. Canon kind of looked at me like, uh, all right, we'll let you say that, but you can't say which ones were taken with R3. But so the so the weird thing was, I expected people to be like, hey, cables using an R3. What I didn't expect was worldwide attention for it and and uh, you know emails from every press person saying what's the resolution or can you tell me more or whatever and so here i am at the olympics working crazy hours and trying to field all these questions from everybody about there are three and i'm like and, and canon just said if people are asking you on social media any of the questions just reply back with the zipper emoji you know like that's all you can give them and so um, they were, I was very, very limited in what I could say at the time because I was under NDA. Well, and here was the thing. So uh, what happened on Instagram was the following. Jeff posted a photo and he just kind of almost as a throwaway sentence in passing was like, you know, at, at 30 <laughs> frames a second, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I, you know, put a comment in there saying, whoa, 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 30 <laughs> frames a second. Uh you know, with sports, the old rule is nowadays that with with a camera that's mirrorless that has both electronic and mechanical shutter, if you're doing anything with fast action, like me with live music with my R5, I am in mechanical, right? I don't even do first right. curtain electronic, hmm. which theoretically I probably could, I think, but yeah, I don't want to be on could. a job and risk it and come back with people's arms looking weird. Um, yeah, you won't. Probably not first curtain, but I would not shoot yeah. electronic shutter at a concert with somebody jumping uh, in the agree. air. And so I just said, you know, 30 frames a second and you've got motion. How's that working for you? Something like that. And yeah. his response was. Yeah, what was my response? I don't remember. <laughs> it was, it depends what body I'm shooting with smiley face. <laughs> and I went, oh what my God. I, and yeah. right then I said to him, when you get back, you got to come on and talk about this because of, of that in particular is the electronic shutter. But, but let's go here first. It's not the top of the line body. It is the most modern, most advanced, I would argue, most powerful camera in many, many ways that Canon has ever produced. And yet the 1DX Mark III technically is still the top of the line. So my question to you is this, a 1DX Mark III is $6,500. An R3 is $6,000. Comparing the advantages of the new tech in the R3, Compared to $500 more for a body that's however old. How do you see the comparison? It's, that's easy. Honestly, um, R3, by, even if the R3 was the same price or slightly more even, I'd, you know, the 1DX race, here's the thing. You know this too. Once you shoot mirrorless, it's hard to go back. And so... The advantages of the R3 brings, yes, yeah, 30 frames a second, and it has some other, you know, it has the eye control and other things. That's cool. But really, honestly, it comes down to the focus speed, the mirrorless ability. I mean, I'm looking in the camera, exposure comping and doing things and seeing exactly what I'm getting, right? Which you can't do in the 1DX. Right. Um, the and I can't e tell the you, EVF, like, right? I heard people before I switched to mirrorless, which was in July, Mm -hmm. I heard people complain about EVF 
saying things like, you know, it takes getting used to, it makes me dizzy. No, oh doesn't. my God. No, it doesn't. The day, I, the day I held that thing to my eye, I went, man, am I an idiot for not doing this yeah. sooner. Well, I mean, the Canon, admittedly, back in the original R days, I didn't like the Canon R. I, I thought that it had one card slot, it wasn't fast focusing, it had all kinds of issues. Yeah. So I just and and I will Canon argue, let me inject on that. Yeah. I will argue that it was, it was horribly mistimed based on when it came out with a severe lack of features. Yeah. They, they yeah. come, it was almost like, we just need to say, look, Hey, we're here. Other people have mirrorless. We're working on it too. Yeah. And I think it worked to the negative for them at the time, but man, have they recovered. Well, I don't know. I, what I, what I said originally in my blog was, Hey, this is an interesting camera. It, it's a sign of what's to come. Right. Right. And, you know, it's not the right camera for me. I'm not sure it's the right camera for, I mean, for some people, surely, surely it would be, but for me, it wasn't. And, um, but you know, the, what you could do with it. And I thought that the, the EVF was very good uh, on that camera, even with all the other things I didn't like about the camera. But I mean, I could tell you that with the R6, R5, and even the R3, it's quite good. Um, Canon would not allow me to let any photographer hold the camera, see the camera, look at the menus, look in the viewfinder. They didn't want anybody to know resolution did you have or anything. Did you have details. to cover anything with tape? I didn't, um, just because I hate doing that. I don't know. I just didn't do it. Um, but yes, I did get looks from people when people were like, wait, is that the R3? And I'm like, yes. Uh, I mean, other photographers that were there, but I could, I wouldn't let them hold it or look at it. And normally when I put the camera down, I'll run to the restroom or run to go get a sandwich or whatever it might be. You know, I just tell another photographer, Hey, can you watch my gear? And they sure. And I, you know, it's hard to do that this time because I don't want people picking up the camera and, and right. looking and running through the menus. Cause Canon was really particular about that. Well, and we now know that Can uh, uh, Nikon had the Z nine there and it had a two angle articulating screen and so they had people having uh, gaffer's tape around the screen so that you couldn't tell, which right. I thought was really interesting. So here, go, go here for me. Yeah. Based on what our conversation right now of once you go mirrorless, you can't go back. But is there yeah. anything about mirrorless that you still don't like and prefer a DSLR for? I already know the answer. I can tell well, by your face. Well, well, <laughs> no, the, the only thing I can think of is that the 1DX Mark III has two CF Express card slots, which I do love. Um, other than that, I mean, he, he, so here's what I told Canon. Right now, I've got mirrorless and SLR. It's killing me. I don't like it. I want to just go completely mirrorless. I want the same interface. I want to go look in the camera, see what I'm getting. I shot a couple weddings last week, and it was just beautiful to shoot with the R5 and R6. Um, they're so damn good. The eye tracking is amazing. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting a real R3 in my hands to use. Um, but Honestly, like if someone buys a 1DX Mark III right now, or even a 5D Mark IV, I'm like, why? Right. And, you know, yes, you're right. The 1DX Mark III is technically the top of the line. But if you're buying a 1DX Mark III right now, I'm like, mine's just sitting somewhere over here, like almost collecting dust. I take it as a second body sometimes when I'm shooting, but I, I prefer the R series so much more that, I mean, it is there as a backup. And what I really want to do is get two our cameras that I'm using all the time. And I don't want to purchase a second one because I already purchased one, but I'm, I'm not going to purchase one if the R3 is around the, you know, they can't get one to right. me yet, but I'd like to just have an R3 and R6 or whatever that I use. Um, and uh, then I can use all my RF lenses, which 
would be great. What I can't stand is having to carry EF lenses and RF lenses. And adapters. Well, the adapter is not really an issue. It's just that you can't put an RF lens on it, on the, the older 1DX or, or 5D. So if I take a backup that's not mirrorless, I've got to take lenses appropriately for those. And so I've now carrying two camera bags to every job, which I hate. Um, and I've got a lot of the new RF lenses, and they're great. I just shot yesterday with the RF uh, 85 1.2 for the first time. And, man, it's killer. And, um, and so... Those are the kinds of things that, yeah, I want to make sure that I have just one kit that does everything. And it's mirrorless for sure. And that's one of the reasons. So this summer, I looked at my wife and I said, I, I shoot with a 5D4 and a 5D3. The 5D3 is super old. I'm going to replace that with an R5. I'll buy an adapter so I can just use the same glass. And her comment was, well, if it's, you know, why don't you just convert? I'm like, well, because if I convert... Then I also have to buy all new glass. Whereas if I do this, I can, you know, even if I buy some RF glass, I can use that on the mirrorless and still use my, why don't you just buy all the glass? I'm like, no, no, well, it's you, expensive. You, you don't understand. We're talking a lot of money. She goes, yeah, yeah. just buy it. I'm like, I, you're, you're I love you. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, she's the greatest <laughs> woman on earth. And so I went and I bought a 15 to 35, a 24 to 70, a 70 to 200 RF with uh, an yep. adapter to use my 150 to 600 Sigma when I'm at a soundboard. And I bought an right. R5 and an R6 and I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. I do have a question because when I got it shooting what I do, which is music, which is similar in the sense that it's action. I'm nowhere near right. your level, but I, you know, it's action, right? So you mentioned in a blog post something. And so I have some questions about your setup. First of all, Canon, and for the Nikon users out there, you have similar settings for all of these, but they tend to be broken up. Canon has what I call presets. They call them cases, but it's presets for how fast it shifts to something that goes in front of the subject or things right. like that. You have those settings if you're on a different brand, but I really like the cases. And it used to be on my 5D4, 5D3, I used case four. Now they have case auto. What are you using? Case auto for everything. Okay. Case auto. And here's the thing. The reason I do, it's not that, that the others aren't useful, but to me, there's so much crap that we have to think about as a photographer, right? Where's my focal point or, or which, so for instance, on my, our, I've got dual back button set up. What, that, that's what button, I was going to bring up that you mentioned in yeah. the blog post. Explain so, that. Yeah. So the AF on button for back button focusing is my eye detection, which for anything I'm shooting portraits, events, it's awesome. And then the metering button, which is a little asterisk. Right. I changed that to become a single point servo back button focus. I changed those two. So there are many times I'm shooting and it's locking in on the wrong person. This happened yesterday when I was shooting. I'm like, no, I don't want to lock there. And instead of sitting there and mucking with it, I'll just use the other button and, and lock focus and shoot. Um, and so for sports, what I found was that eye detection, as much as I love it for everything I do here locally, for sports, it's not always great because there are a lot of times when the athlete's back is to me, not their face. Or hair or, flies up. Yeah, I mean, it could be a hundred things, splashing, whatever it might be. And so I found that the single point servo focus worked better. Well, great to be able to just jump the two buttons to whatever I need. Other than that, though, I don't use... Like, I don't want to sit there and think about all these different cases. And people are saying to me, you know, what do you use for white balance? Well, I just use auto white balance. 90% of the time, it's really good. 
Um, and I can adjust it later if it's not. So um, I don't, I want to take all those variables out so I could be a great photographer and not worry about all that crap. Okay. So, so then I have to tell you my conversation with David Bergman and he did an ask, you know, David, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I know of him. I don't know him personally, but yeah. he didn't ask David Bergman on this after our conversation. So what happened was I called David because David is my go-to for live music photographer. He's one of the the people in my industry that th there's less than a handful probably that I respect so very much what he does. And I'm like, David, right. you're already doing this. Should I use the electronic? He's no, 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 go mechanical. And then he shared with me how he does what you call dual back button focus, and he did the same thing where the primary AF on was I, I and face, mm -hmm. and right. the asterisk, which is like the AE lock button, uh, he did as as single point, but he, he made the caveat. And that is now the downside is it's gonna be your center point because you're holding the button down to get to it. And so you can't move the point. So it's always center. Now I'm the type of shooter, I know a lot of people who only use center anyway, right. but I'm the type of shooter who I don't. I move my focus point up to the right, left, when I'm photographing musicians. I do sometimes and, as well, yep. So I said to him, I don't understand. Why don't you just flip it? Because if you make the normal AF button a single point, then that's normal AF anyway. And you can right. move the point around anywhere you want. And then if you hit the asterisk button, that's face and eye, which without letting go of the button, will go anywhere in the frame that you want. Now you get and full actually, use of the whole frame. And that's how I did the Olympics. So the Olympics, I ended up using the single point more than and you face put that detection. on AF on. So I threw it around. So on my ones here, it's the other way. But at the Olympics, it was the AF on button was uh, single point, center point, servo focus. And the uh, asterisk button was for face and eye detection, which honestly, I, I didn't use a time there. And, and I was really excited about the eye control of the R3 that it would follow my pupil, which my eyes are swollen right now, but um, so like it would actually follow my pupil and it would know who I was looking at. I thought, oh my God, this would be so cool to be able to track an athlete. It'll know which athlete I'm looking at. It'll lock focus on that athlete with eye detection, which sounded good in theory. And what happened was, you know, at a pre-production model of an R3, well, the eye control wasn't finished yet and it was doing some weird things. I'm like, no, this isn't fast enough for sports. So I went back, but there were other times I did use it and it worked well. So okay. it just, it was, it depends on the sport. Yeah. Which makes total sense. And by the way, they're doing a pool remodel next door. So if, if the noises I'm hearing are coming through, welcome <laughs> nope, to my world. Good. It's I'm payback. Not so <laughs> with all of that in mind, then uh, one more question actually on AF that I have, and then I've got a question from Alex Smith that, that he gave me on Twitter. And that is, I tend to use, you know, like I say, I move it around, but I use something again that's somewhat unique kind of to Canon. I think some of the newer Nikons may have something similar. I use not a zone, I use point assist and point assist comes in a five point center and then four ones or eight around a center one. And and I got a really great description one time, a friend of mine knew one of the top engineers at Canon who sent me a big breakdown on the differences and that I was misunderstanding it in that when you do the point assist with eight around a single, it is not nine focus points. Your focus point is the middle, the other ones do nothing unless the middle one loses it and then they try and catch it before it leaves. Right. Are you using literally a single point? Are you using a, a focus assist yeah. mode? What? Single point, almost always. Um, the only time I switch, anytime I switch that over, because I want to be on the eye 
I want to be as close. I want to get as dead set. And you know, when you're shooting sports, the variable between, especially depending on how far you are, between the eye and other parts of the face are enough that I don't want it drifting off there. The only time I switched over to a wider focal range was for equestrian. Okay. And you know, and so, uh, and that's because I was doing motion panning. I had a little bit more of a, uh, leniency there. Um, but uh, usually it is single point. So Alex Smith asked the following question on Twitter again. Did he make use of the, and you kind of already answered this, but good opportunity if you want to say anything else about what you think it could do. Did he make use of the eye tracking AF where you can set the AF area by looking at it? So that's not really the eye tracking is the eye tracking AF, but then you also have the eye control, right? right? Very curious if it's useful in the real world. And based on what you just said, it wasn't for you on a pre-production model. And we we should say well, any images that I show today and the, the body we're talking about was pre-production, but do you see it being useful? Absolutely. Like, so at the Olympics, it wasn't. Because of one of two things, either pre-production and or just the action the way it was and the way the athletes were turned and everything else. I can tell you that in testing, I had an R3, can I say this? I had an R3 about well before the Olympics. A different, it was a earlier pre-production model of the R3. And I did some tests here and I was training it. And here's the thing, if, like if I'm shooting like I said, a wedding or a bar mitzvah, and I've got a group photo of eight people, I want to be able to look at my main subject and the bride and have it lock focus on her, not drift out to one of the other people. So in the in this scenario like that, I think it's going to be amazing. Um, you do train it almost like an iPhone where you train, you know, your, um, or an iPad where you, you know, touch, you, you do all that. But right. you, you look in different areas and it locks in. It's pretty cool. Once you get that trained and you train it for different scenarios, low light versus bright light, long lens versus wide lens. Interesting. Port, uh, landscape versus portrait. You train it for both because that'll be different because your pupils looking different ways. And right, right now my eyes swollen. I'm going to have to retrain it for that. Um, so it was interesting doing that. And honest to God, at the Olympics, time was so tight I didn't have time to muck with it. You know, if I spent a day or two playing with it, maybe I could have gotten it to work perfectly. I don't have a day or two. So I just told Canon, I went in, I had numerous meetings with Canon, with the, with the Japanese, with the engineers and, and others. Um, and I gave them feedback all the time. Like, oh, I don't have time with it. I, I can't mess with it. How do I turn this off? How do I do this? Um, and it wasn't that it didn't work. It's just that I didn't have the time to put into it. I will say, though, I think in real world shooting that I do here, it's going to be awesome. Okay, so that's good to know. So So, Terrell Woods on Twitter, regular listener, asked the following question. Actually, he had two questions. I'm going to do this one first. Is the AF, I love his phrasing here, is the AF stickier than the five and six? So that's question number one. Oh, it is? It is. It is. Noticeably? I think that um, the AF seemed, I've had some issues with the R5 and R6 where I was trying to shoot uh, lower light in Costa Rica and it was all over the place and I did not have a- any issues with the R3. So I th- this is not a scientific categorized, you know, statement, but I will tell you from my gut feel that, yeah, it was very responsive, put it that way. 
Okay. And then the question that everyone wanted to know, I got multiple ones on this one, and Terrell is the one that I grabbed it from. Is electronic shutter ready for prime time with balls and verticals in the frame? And he even posted a shot to to show me, like for him, he shoots a lot of volleyball and like beach volleyball, and you've got football looking volleyballs. Um, I shot electronic first curtain the entire time. And I did not, I'm trying to remember if I had any distortion at all. I have wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. wait a minute. I got to interrupt you. I apologize. Yeah. You didn't shoot full electronic. Um, cause uh, is elect, are you telling me electronic f- first curtain is 30 frames a second? I believe it was. I was switching around, but I think I was predominantly shooting electronic first curtain. I'm pretty sure, you know, I changed settings I, and I have numerous cameras too. So I believe I was electronic first curtain. Now I got to remember, I don't know if that would show up in the XF data. I'll look. That'd be interesting. Um, but I did not see, I know that in discussions with Canon before I even left for the Olympics, they told me that the rolling shutter issue was significantly better in the R3 and I did not have any issues with distortion at all. So it, whatever I was doing, it worked. <laughs> okay. And, so, and, and there were some things I was changing that were shooting differently because it was pre-production. There were some things that I turned off um, and there were things I had to change about my work, my workflows, balls, raw plus JPEG and all this other stuff because it was pre-production. Yeah. Okay. So one other question from Terrell was 30 frames a second when you were doing it and culling is tedious. Now you kind of addressed this when we were talking about your 14 minute turnaround time, but I think everybody out there that shoots anything like we do wants to know this question because one of the things I'm even finding on the R5 and mechanical is it still faster than my R than my 5D Mark III and my 5D Mark IV? Right. And so I'm finding myself when I shoot live music, I don't, you know, brrr, I tend to do for the people on the audio podcast. My apologies for the fact that I just did a horrible sound effect, <laughs> but I don't shoot in long bursts. I tend to have the feel for the camera and I do usually what's about a three shot burst. Now and then a little, now and then I think I hit three and I end up with two. Sometimes I hit five, but it's, you know, and that's about it. With the R5, I'm finding when I do that, magically I've got five shots. I've got a lot more to go through. So when you're shooting 30 frames a second and doing long bursts, any tips on the culling? You know, honestly, this is where having a good computer and photo mechanic really made a huge difference. Fast memory cards. I use the ProGrade digital memory cards and readers with the Mac and Same photo here. mechanic. And they're, and, they're um, magnetic. Yeah, I love them. I, I got them on my laptop, which is charging over there. But, you know, and I've got a whole stack of them magnetized here. Um, but the 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 tr- I will admit that the first time I shot with the R3 and I shot the water polo and I shot it at 30 frames a second, I got back to my computer and I went to download and I'm used to, you know, I've shot, this is my seventh Olympics. So I'm used to coming back with 12 or 1300 images. I came back and I downloaded and I was at 2700 and I probably can't say on your podcast exactly what I was thinking, but I was like, Holy crap. Like that is painful. So because what I just did is I, I'm still under my deadline and now I got that many more to go through. It was, it was tough. I was like, uh, now what? And so I just hauled butt through those images as fast as I could to find the key ones. And then what I told the team was, I'll make a first pass and get you some. Let me make a second pass after I get you those and I'll get you more. Um, and so we, that's we the did problem. change. 
That's the problem for me is I, I go through quick and I get one that I, I you know, I'm, I'm making crap up now, but I get one that's like, wow, you know, that's a good shot. It's not the, I'm hoping I have something better, but on the chance that I don't, I better mark this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like, if you like this, I sent you a couple shots. One of them as the goaltender from USA water polo, who's got, you know, who's, who's making a block. And, you know, first of all, I love the shot because she looks like people think they're standing at the bottom of the pool. She's kicking herself to that height. Right. And, she looks as Ashley Johnson, who's one of the, arguably one of the best female goaltenders ever to play the game. And but look how calm she looks. Like she doesn't even look freaked out. But I wanted that ball right there. You see her hand exposed, you know she's blocking that shot. And so, you know, going at 30 frames a second gives you the ability to capture that. And a lot of the other shots I sent you, same thing, where I'm capturing that peak of action. And that is the goal of the sports photographer, is to get that peak of action. Right. And it sure as hell helps, you know, hopes it helps to have. 30 frames a second versus 12 or 13 or 14. So Alex Smith on Twitter also asked, related to sports shooting with the electronic shutter, and it's kind of what we were just discussing a second ago, rolling shutter effect. And folks, if you don't know what rolling shutter effect is, it to me, it's a, it's a weird name because it does not describe what the result is, which is a, right. a deformation of objects in a frame that are moving. But the best video I found on it, again, is my buddy David Bergman. Uh, ask, uh, it, it's Ask David Bergman on Adorama TV on YouTube. And he's got uh, an episode where he filmed the propeller blades of his drone. And the end result will blow your freak. It's almost like cool art, right? Yeah. yeah. But Alex's question is, did you whether or not you were shooting on electronic first curtain or full electronic, did you notice any of it do, during real world sports shooting? I didn't. I didn't. And that's what I'm saying. I, you know, I, I want to get a real R3 in my hands, which I still don't have right now. Um, so I could do some more testing with that, but I did not. I mean, I, what I was getting out of the camera was magnificent. So, I mean, if I, if I felt like there was too much distortion, I wouldn't have used the R3. I would have jumped right back to the R5. Right. So, um, no, I, I mean, I didn't see that. And I've seen it with the R6. I shot tennis and the ball is like, you know, it's not a circle. It's like, you know, right. Um, so clearly they made some improvements in the, in the R3. Now what they've done, I couldn't tell you, but I, I can have. actually, it's, it's a backside illuminated stacked sensor and the stack sensor that they're using has a faster read speed. And that's really where the problem is, is how fast it can read the sensor. And if it can't read it fast enough, you end up with it being read at different points in its motion and you get a, a stretching effect. So- Which is funny because the way you describe that, right? You describe it in a very scientific way. And I'm like, I mean, and I'm very techie, but I'm a photographer. Like, I don't give a crap about it. Does it take a good right. picture or not, right? Right. Yeah, no, I hear you. So yeah. you did some interesting things. I'm going to pull up some shots here really quick. Okay. And as I pull up these shots, first of all, I did pull up, by the way, on this. Uh, let me see what shot I have up first. Okay, so this one. I pulled up this shot to look at the EXIF data to see if it shows uh, what focus mode, um, or I'm sorry, what shutter mode you were in. And I'm Does not... Uh, no, it does not. It yeah, does it show is. that you shoot aperture priority, which I like. That's interesting. Makes total yeah. sense for what you're doing. But yeah. I don't see, yeah. And not nothing. always. Like water polo, water polo, I'd shoot manual. It depends what I'm shooting. If I've got mixed lighting and they're going in between light and dark spots, I'll go to aperture priority. If it's a more controlled shoot, 
it'll be the manual. Well, Terrell's going to love this shot because it's the type of stuff that he shoots is, is beach volleyball here in Southern California. And just an amazing shot. I, again, this, this isn't a normal episode, but this would be a good shot for a normal episode because you literally did a frame within a frame on a volleyball player yeah. between two branded strips of the net. Yeah. So you get all the branding. You get the player does not intersect. I mean, I could go on and on about your compositional prowess. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, oh, I do. No, it's I, not. I, yeah, well, I put myself in the right position. I climbed to the very top row. I mean, there's right. no one in the stands, right? There are no spectators. Right. I climbed to the very top row, which gave me a different angle. I had been on the sand shooting on the deck for an hour and a half already. So I wanted something different. I went up there. But when she dove in between those that net like that and I captured it, I literally packed up. There's one other photographer right by me. And I, and I go, look at this. And he looked and he goes, oh, my God. And I said, I'm done. And I literally just packed my gear up and left that position because I knew I wasn't going to get a better shot than that. Like, it was just epic the way that she laid out. So, sure, there's luck involved. I mean, yes, it's being in the right shooting mode is in the right place and everything else. But, I mean, having the focus lock on her eyes framed like that, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't have planned that any better, honestly. Well, I just, I just got lucky. Again, here's another good example compositionally. <laughs> Where you've got the See, guy I jumping the bike, this too. <laughs> and and you have a freaking plane in there that is compositionally in the right spot. You blow my mind, man. Um, well, go back for a second to that other shot. I'll, okay. I, that one, I just the problem was that when they're jumping, they're jumping in front of apartment buildings and things if they got really high. So I got down low because I want to get this guy in the sky, and I shot the same thing. I shot this one. I looked in the frame, mirrorless. Looked in it. I saw the plane. I said, "Oh my god!" Like. That's ridiculous. I got two things flying at the air at the same time. Total luck. But I mean, a little bit of planning, but I didn't plan for the plane. That just what happened. You know? And then, you know, we've got a boxing shot here. This this equestrian shot is just was this panning? Is that why it's like this? It is. Yeah. I went I went I think I was at either twentieth or fortieth of a second the entire time. I shifted a couple safe shots. I went there to be artistic. I didn't go to capture okay. this. I was, it was not contractual. I did shoot Bruce Springsteen's daughter in at a thousandth of a second. And that was my safety shot for her, but all the other um, guys I was pushing, you know, I didn't want to show empty stands and I, and I didn't want to just capture everything at a thousandth of a second. So I went there and I even posted this on social media. I'm heading to equestrian to shoot the slowest possible shutter speed I can to create art. And I literally sat there for, I don't know, three hours to get five images or whatever. So, Oh, I will tell was, you this, was, you know, this needs to be printed so big. Then, then your gymnastic stuff. So you're doing these sequences. So there's shot one. There's another shot of gymnastics. I mean, really honestly, so good. And then there's this. Yeah. So you use the in-camera multi-exposure like no one I know people in live music that do this on guitarists and stuff. I have right. never in my, the key here is they do it on guitarists, which is a single person and you're doing it on right. dual people that. Which is so hard. Well, and yeah. look at the distance. Like if you look at the person on the left, the distance of each leg movement, person on the right distance is exact, right? They moved yeah. exactly the same with each other. This, my friend is just a brilliant shot. And I guess my question is, you obviously liked it, right? Oh, this is my favorite shot of the Olympics. And, and actually, when I can open a raw file from the R3, this will be the first one I, re, I reprocess. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, so here's a question. 
We talked about this earlier. The R3 is 6,000. The 1DX Mark III is 6,500. The R1, based on that, will it's got to be more than the R3. The the newer bodies are a little bit more than the ones that they're replacing. So my guess is the R1 is going to be $7,000. What? But the R3 is pretty damn spot on. A couple of things, I'm sure, but what feature could you see them adding to an R1? Let's assume, again, this is all me making crap up. Right. The R3, let's say the 1DX Mark III that is 6,500 now is gone. You've got the R3 right. at 6,000, and I'm going to guess the R1, 7,000. What feature or the could the R3 they add? drops in price a little bit, maybe. Could be know. that, could be that. Yeah. And they keep it at, yeah. at 6,500, understanding right. marketplace. What feature, but let's assume there's a thousand dollar difference between the two. Yep. What feature could they add to you that's worth a thousand dollars? Well, the first thing is to see if express card slots. I, I, I don't like SD cards. I mean, they're slower. Um, I mean, R6 only has SD, so I use it a lot. Um, I much prefer the CF Express. Um, you know, I would love to have even faster focusing. Um, in, in resolution, a lot of people were upset about 24 megapixels and wanting more. People were honest. upset about 20 with the R6, and it's awesome. It's awesome. And I wish the, it was 24, well, I, but... Yeah, but I mean, I shoot primarily with the R6, and the reason is when I shoot a wedding or a bar mitzvah or whatever, I'm shooting local events here, people don't want 40 megapixels. No one is saying to me, can I get an image of my son and my daughter or whatever blown up to this, you know, enlarged to the size of my garage door? Like they just don't do that. So, so the 20 megapixels is actually fine. And for sports, like you said, I was shooting 2,700 images of water polo. I don't want massive files. I don't need them. The team was, you know, I'd send them images that were resized down because they don't want them full res. Um, I had that problem with a client where they needed some quick turnarounds and I sent them some images and normally I would pull them on the phone, maybe do a quick edit and just drop them to them really quick. But these I pulled on the laptop and I thought, you know, I'm just going to send these over. And they sent a message back to me saying, can you get me these lower? I can't email them. Right. Right. I mean, That's they, right. they want to, you're turning them around to a contact, but that contact isn't the end use and they need well, to send them to somebody that's end use. And I, and I think this is, you know, right, megapixels is really dependent on what you're shooting. So right. the Olympics, Olympics 2024 20, was fine. It was great. I lied. That was fine. When I went to Africa five days later, I didn't take an R3. I took two R5s because in Africa, you're shooting a lot of things and you're cropping. Um, and it was awesome to shoot birds, you know, a good fish eagle. You'd crop in a little bit. You crop, you know, if you cropped in a lot on a bird, you still have a five megabyte file. Right. You know, yeah. versus yeah. the old days, you'd crop in like, oh, look at this image. And it'd be like 128K. You're like, oh, I can't use this for anything. So, Again, depends on the use. And so um, I, I, for an R1, dual CF Express, maybe 30 megapixels, or I would love for a camera to say, to make it user selectable, where you could turn off, physically turn off pixels. So like for low noise, for high ISO shooting, I could say, turn a 40 megapixel camera down to 20 and only half the pixels are firing, therefore generating less heat, therefore getting the better high ISO shooting. Um, yeah, I don't know if they'd ever do that. Um, you know, I always want faster focusing. Uh, I would love to have eye control work even better. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, the other thing we didn't talk about is on the R3, it is smaller physically than the 1DX Mark III and lighter, which is really, really welcome. Um, same battery, which is nice, but just smaller and lighter, noticeably smaller and lighter. And yet really still like. full battery grip, which, you know, for that type of shooting yep. is great. So here, yep. l- let me do this. And the one thing that we didn't mention that I really like that's small what? is it has a simulated, the simulated sound of the shutter is so cool because as a photographer who's been shooting DSLRs my entire life, it's, you're used to, oh God, that's way too slow with shutter speed, right? And you've been there, you shoot in a concert and you were set for outside, you walk inside, you go shoot and you hear the shutter like, oh wait, that's wrong. It's cool to have a simulated sound so I could hear that and know exactly if I was at the right shutter speed just by the audible. So you know, I just thought of a question I need to ask you because I have run into an issue with my mirrorless. And I think I know what I'm going to do to solve it. And I'm curious if you've ever run into this. So when I when I switched over and I got this EVF, I'm like, oh, my God, I can be in a photo pit at a concert with radically changing lighting and I can see my exposure. I have exposure simulation enabled. And so I'm always seeing my exposure and I don't put the histogram in the viewfinder because it's distracting to me. But I don't really need my histogram now because I'm getting exposure simulation. And then. I came back with some shots that were a stop or a little bit more underexposed. And I'm like, how's that possible? Everything looked right. And then I realized what happened. The EVF is on auto brightness. And so what I was finding was when I was in a show that was like the whole stage was dark, except for maybe one light on a singer, Hmm. the EVF would go, you know, this is too dark. I'm going to brighten the EVF up. Right. And suddenly, and it wasn't a lot. But it was enough that what should have been based on what I saw through the viewfinder should have been spot on was I had to boost some of them a stop and a half, which irritated me. And I think it's because I'm on auto and I'm going to take it off auto. The default is three and then it won't change. Yeah. And that's what I do. I don't keep, I don't put it in auto. Um, So your EVF is on a number. Yeah. Do you know which one? Is it probably the default no. three, just so it doesn't change, probably? It's, yeah, it's okay. probably default for that one, yeah. Okay, speed round. Answer as fast as you want to, and okay. uh, just whatever comes to your head. Top sports photography tip. Uh, be creative. Oh, that's a, okay. Because you got to be different. Yeah. Because there's so many people out there shooting. Be different. That's why you, I do the motion panning, the multi-exposure, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Set yourself apart. Favorite yeah. photographic technique or composition rule uh panning i love motion panning that's favorite awesome. favorite drink uh uh screwball peanut butter whiskey if we're talking alcohol peanut butter whiskey talking, did yeah, you just say you peanut had, butter otherwise, whiskey? Otherwise, otherwise die coke yeah if you haven't tried peanut butter whiskey you're missing out my brother got me hooked on it it's uh, it's amazing <laughs> you asked. Yes. Peanut. Okay, I have to Google this. No, you got to try it. And and if you really want to go rogue here, get hot chocolate K cup for your Keurig. You may make hot chocolate and you pour some peanut butter whiskey in there. Then you have a Reese's drink that's alcohol and it's really really good. So, but normally Diet Coke is my go-to. Uh, but you know, alcohol drink. Whiskey, I know. And, and during the pandemic, I must have gone through like 10 bottles of it. Not me personally, but just having my next door neighbors over and my friends over and every, everybody came over to drink peanut butter whiskey. And they would actually call me ahead of time. Like, do you have any left? I go, yes. Okay, we're coming up. Wow. Like, it's that good. That's becoming Screwball. my favorite question because 
Uh, Blair Bunting <laughs> gave an old fashioned recipe, which is in the blog post. If you go look up the Blair Bunting episode and then uh, David Hume Kennerly gave his own custom drink recipe that had some special pepper in it. And then he emailed me later what the pepper is. So I added that to the blog, but this has become my favorite part. Favorite singer, <laughs> band or album? Shinedown. Oh, good uh, choice. Yeah, I love Shinedown. Great yeah. live, by the way. Fun to photograph yeah, and, live. And they're coming to San Francisco, and I want to shoot it. Um, I'm going to uh, try to find a contact there, but I love Shinedown, yeah. Some nice guys. They came. We did a thing with the radio station with them, and we were down where they were doing the meet and greet, and they came over to all the people from the radio station thanking us for playing them, which I haven't had no a band way. do in 30 years probably. Yeah. Uh, what was your nice first guys. concert ever? I believe it was the Cars, Rick Ocasek and the Cars wow. way back. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Who's a photographer that you, some people may know about, but you think deserves a mention, deserves more attention that if they don't follow them, people should go check out. Chris McClellan, Miss Chris McClellan, who's in New Zealand and the guy shoots everything, you know, uh, underwater stuff and sports and landscapes and shoots for different hotel resorts and his combination I, I i i look at his stuff and i just i love the fact that he can shoot like me so many different genres right but he does it so much better than I do. okay he's awesome um yeah. if you think about it I'll, i will put those in the show notes yeah uh, if you think about it drop me his his okay. website so that i can include that in and again uh if people want to find you all the links will be in the show notes at behindtheshot.tv just find this episode they're down there you'll see all the links but if you're watching the video, they're popping up under Jeff as we talk. Those of you on the audio, let's just give them out really quick. What's your website? Uh, just jeffcable.com. So J-E-F-F-C-A-B-L-E.com. The blog is just blog.jeffcable.com. You can get to it from the main website. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube are all just Jeff Cable Photography. And Twitter is just jcable12, just because that's what I set up at a billion years ago, and I've never right. changed it. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So go find Jeff. And again, if you make it easy, just go to the website. It's behindtheshot.tv and you can find all the links there. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you doing this again. I know that you've had a hectic week and a hectic month. And for you to set the time aside to do this, uh, can't even begin to say thank you, man. Appreciate it. Good to see you again, too. Glad to do it. Yeah, likewise. We'll do it again. So that everybody knows, again, BehindTheShot.tv is where you can find the information. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, hit the like button, drop a comment if you want, you know, for anything, I monitor the comments. And as well, if you want to follow me on uh, social media anywhere, it's at Steve Brazel for Twitter and Instagram or at BehindTheShotTV for Twitter and Instagram. And of course, you can always go find my personal website, which is SteveBrazel.com, like the country Brazil, but two L's. The podcast is Behind the Shot TV. Thanks again for joining us. This is Behind the Shot, the show where normally we try and get inside the mind of a great photographer by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. I've done that with Jeff before. May of 2020, capture the action. Go find that episode. It's a ski jump shot. I think you're going to like it. But I really appreciate him doing this one with the uh, R3 information because he's one of those rare people that has had a chance to actually try it. Thanks again for watching. I'm Steve Brazel, and we will see you on the next show. (laughs) 